excited for, for uh, God's words because it is the words of Jesus that we're looking at today. If you will turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. So many, I uh, mean, just lovely people. I love you guys so much. I love this, this church and this family. A lot of y'all haven't seen in a while that I see today, including Michael. Where's Michael Elliott? Give Michael Elliott a shout out. Good to see you, Michael. Love you, buddy. He was wanting to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. He wanted to. He was like, uh, I can pick on Michael, one of our uh, alumni from Awaken. All right, so listen, I'm very, very excited. I, I was, again, just, just praying and asking the Lord what he wanted to share this morning with you all. And um, this is a section I've been reading through uh, through the Gospels and specifically through Matthew recently. And this this passage was just on my heart in a deep way. And, and I think some words um, that maybe we don't hear about quite as, as frequently um, but they are the words of Jesus. And so Jesus is actually speaking about the future. And I figured that's a big deal. <laughs> that's a big deal. Uh, so I want to I hear and see what Jesus has to say. And uh, so I'm very excited for this moment. And if you have your Bibles, open it up. If you have the app on your phone, that's okay. It's okay. I'm, I'll be reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, but it's all great. And so this morning, I'm going to start in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 24. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these things, these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. I'm going to pause there. We're going to read a lot more. I'm going to pause there uh, just to to make sure you guys are aware of of the situation, the context, what's going on. When it says that Jesus was departing from the temple, there's actually an emphasis that he was going away with purpose um, as one who does not intend to return. This was the last time he was in the temple. Jesus was intentionally walking away from the temple, leaving the temple, knowing it'd be his last time there, in the temple there in Jerusalem. And uh, we're gonna pick more about the context here in a minute, but uh, they're, so they're leaving the temple, they're walking away, and Jesus' disciples, his followers, again, if you don't know this, most of them were probably young. They're younger than Jesus some of them, most of them probably teenagers. They're pretty young, uh, which I love. I think that adds a lot of the picture to see their age. and not some old guys with white hair. Nothing wrong with old guys with white hair. But um, a lot of times that's the picture we have of the disciples. Um, I don't think they're that wise. If you look at the questions that they ask and the things they talk about, like, Jesus, who's the greatest? Who's going to sit next to your right hand? You know, that shows a lack of wisdom. Um, so Jesus' disciples were talking to him as they're walking out, walking away from the temple. And they're actually amazed at the beauty and the size of the temple buildings. They're pointing out the temple and the buildings. They're pointing out. And so just some, some background here. Obviously, it goes back, we go back to Solomon's temple, which was, was amazing, beautiful. I mean, just incredible. But after Solomon's temple was destroyed, the temple was actually originally rebuilt by Zerubbabel and Ezra. But then Herod the Great, who was the one who ruled Jerusalem, uh, who ruled when Jesus was born, he greatly expanded and improved it. It was like a long project, like 70, you know, 80 years, a long project, greatly expanded and improved it. This temple was magnificent. It was impressive. It even exceeded Solomon's temple. It was beautiful. It was actually 500 yards long, 400 yards wide, massive, beautiful. Had gold, marble. And Jesus does not care. Just let you know, 
in this moment, when Jesus says, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they'll be completely destroyed. He's not pleased with the temple. He's not impressed. I sense he's a little bit upset. Jesus didn't care. These buildings are things. And he says, they will be completely destroyed. His, his own disciples were missing it. They were looking at, wow, like they were distracted by this beauty of this temple. Jesus says, not one stone will be left on top of another. And this is also really cool. This, is, uh, this literally came, came to, to be. About 40 years after Jesus said these words, there was a Jewish revolution against the Romans. And ultimately, Roman soldiers leveled Jerusalem in 70 AD, including the temple. And not only was it destroyed, but a Roman commander actually ordered the temple be dismantled stone by stone. Literal fulfillment of what Jesus had prophesied. All right, and I think that's important because we're going to look more in Matthew chapter 24. And so the first thing that starts off in this chapter that Jesus said would happen was literally fulfilled. Amen? Do you understand that? I'm giving you some history here that goes along if you didn't know that. This huge, 500 yards long, 400 yards wide, gold, marble, ton of money. It was a huge project. 40 years later, after Jesus says, it actually came true. It was destroyed stone by stone. Obviously, we know other parts in the gospel where Jesus talks about if you destroy this temple in three days, right? He's talking about, that was, he's pointing to himself. This was a literal his disciples said, wow, look at this. Look how pretty. Look amazing. He said, it's going to be destroyed. Like, it doesn't matter. It's things. It doesn't care. All right. So, again, why? Why is Jesus so harsh talking about the temple? Why is he so upset? Why is he a little bit perturbed? Uh, all right. If you go back to chapter 23, you have, if you have your Bibles, you can turn back a page. Or uh, we have the verses up there. I'm going to look at just a few verses in chapter 23 of Matthew. Starting verse 25, all right, 23, verse 25. We're going to read a few verses here in Matthew 23. Jesus, again, is speaking. He, this, this is previously, so they're actually in the temple. Jesus and his followers are in the temple talking to the religious leaders. Verse 23, 25. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will become clean too. Verse 27, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. All right, there's a word I've been using with the students recently. When there's something harsh and we say woof, I don't know what that means, but it just fits. Like I don't have a just like a oh, woof, you know. Um, I don't think they were happy when Jesus said that to them, you know. Um, those are some hard words, all right? Whitewashed tombs, all right? Outside is beautiful. It's clean. It's beautiful. They made it look pretty, all right? It's attractive. Outside is beautiful, but in the, the inside, you're filled with death on the inside. Greed, lawlessness, and hypocrisy. And these were the leaders. These are the ones who were teaching the law of God. They were supposed to be the ones that were leading people to 
that were showing about how to live. Jesus was showing his followers, hey, listen to the law, but don't follow their example. Don't follow their example, all right? Jesus said that everything they do is for show. And in this moment, we see that Jesus is extremely annoyed by the show. Hello? I know sometimes we come to church or we watch sermons on, 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 uh, on TV or on your computer and there's really encouraging words or, you know, you can do it, self-help. Well, hello, I'm reading the words of Jesus this morning. Don't get mad at me. I'm just a messenger, okay? And Jesus is speaking and he's annoyed at the show. Jesus said, you know what? It doesn't matter how pretty you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much prestige or respect you've earned. Is that good? I'm going to say this again. All right, hey. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how pretty you are, how smart you are, how much prestige or respect you earn. Is there true humility in your life? Do we have, do we have a true fear of the Lord? Uh, in our youth ministry, we've been going through Proverbs, and there's, there's a lot of things that are repeated, but one specific thing that is repeated a lot is that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, I know it's Halloween. We're not, we're not talking about being scared, all right? Not that kind of fear, all right? Fear means reverence and awe, respect. Do you acknowledge him as God? Do you see how low you are compared to his holiness? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Is there true humility in our lives? Is there true fear of the Lord? Is there true worship and obedience? God said, I don't care about the whitewashed tombs. I don't care about these temple buildings. I don't care how much money, work you put into it. Thank you. Thank you for showing how high you think of God by the gold you put on the temple, how big and long the building is. I don't care how pretty, I don't care money, I don't care how smart, prestige. Do you have humility? Do you acknowledge him as God? Is he the Lord of your life? And ask a lot. Again, I want to make sure, sometimes we have words that are used a lot in the Bible or in church. I want to make sure we know what that means. We like this with students a lot. Lord, it means Master. Is he the master of your life? Is he the leader of your life? Is he a part of your life? Is he, I believe in God and I, you know, I want to follow him? Or is he the master of your life? Does he lead you in every decision, every emotion that you make, every relationship you have? Is he the most important thing in your life completely? Is he the one that your life is built on? Or is it like a temple that we, man, you know, see this? See this pretty temple? That's, that's my life, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty like Jesus, right? I have faith. I go to church. I'm a good person. Hello. Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> don't be a hypocrite. He's talking to his own disciples, saying, I don't care about those temple buildings that you're pointing out. They're going to be destroyed. Literally, they're going to be destroyed. They don't matter. Jesus declares his followers the temple will be destroyed. Now, I'm going to pick my brother. My brother says, sometimes uh, you get a little bit uh, 
into it when you preach. So I don't want to be, listen, I'm not, I'm passionate about the words of Jesus. I'm speaking to myself. Lord, would you increase my fear of you? Would you increase my humility? Would I stop putting weight and value in things that are going to be destroyed? I'm not talking to anyone specific. I'm talking to us as, as, as followers, as children of God. Are we living with purpose? Do we have urgency? Are we glorifying things and prioritizing things that really don't matter? All right? All right. Let's keep reading for, uh, in chapter 24. All right, go back to 24. Matthew 24. We've only done two verses so far. Verse 3. So again, obviously, Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, Send the temple will be destroyed. Well, that leads to some questions. That leads to some questions, right? Verse 3, Matthew 24. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So there's two questions there. They kind of jump. <laughs> Uh, they kind of jump, I would say, in importance. So obviously him talking about the temple being destroyed, that's a big deal. And so they kind of ask with that, well, when is that going to happen? But then they go, what sign will signal your return and end of the world? So that's kind of like another, another step up, I would say. Um, and real quick, I, I want to put up the disciples' questions. This is real interesting because for a long time, and I would say even up until it actually happened, they did not understand that Jesus was actually going to die. They did not understand that he was going to die as a sacrifice for them. They, they didn't understand it. Because again, Messiah was this king, this conqueror who's going to save them. Who's going to win the day by his heroics as a king. They weren't expecting this humble sacrifice. But they're already asking about your return. Anyway, I love that. So, Real quick, keep reading. Verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. You will hear of wars, threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains. With more to come. I'll pause real quick. I want to pause. Birth pains. All right, birth pains. Let me, guys, let me tell you all about the three most exhausting days of my life. I'm not, I'm serious. That was, man, it's exhausting. I have, I have three, I have three babies and, uh, and it happened that all of them Pretty much, uh, Megan went to labor like late at night, and so the, like the, the the labor pains were happening overnight. So you're already tired, and uh, men, there's nothing we can do. Like there, there's nothing we can do. You want some more water, honey? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's I'll, you know, I'll drop a bath. Um, is the most helpful things besides prayer. I was praying in the spirit for hours. Let me tell you. And praise God, we had amazing deliveries. Um, and God actually answered a lot of prayers in those deliveries. But uh, three of the most exhausting days of my life. So labor pains are exhausting. Are exhausting. And again, I got to point out, again, I haven't, I, I actually have not given birth before. Um, <laughs> but my wife has not been there. Um, and she did it uh, 
with no epidural, so she is a champ. Um, but listen, labor pains hurt. They are exhausting. Labor pains hurt. They are exhausting. It's actually part of the curse from the fall back in Adam and Eve. Um, labor pains are hurt and exhausting, but they are leading to something wonderful. All right, so I love this. Again, these are the words of Jesus. These are the first of birth pains. Um, so some of those, those verses we just read, verses four through, through eight, maybe we've heard some of those, right? Wars and threats of wars. We, we've heard some of those things. Um, that's only the first of the birth pains. Like a lot of times we see, we see things and we wanna jump. We wanna jump ahead. Um, Jesus describes it as the first of birth pains. And so sometimes labors, labor can be really quickly. Sometimes it takes a long time. Um, but Jesus says all of this, this is verse eight, all of this is only the first of the birth pains. But here's what's great. Again, it's leading to something wonderful. And it's not something to be afraid of. Now, a lot of times you're gonna give birth, you know, that's probably something on your mind is the labor pains. But you're looking ahead to what is coming from that. What is the purpose of those labor pains? What's the result of those labor pains? We'll keep going. Verse 9. Matthew 4, verse 9. Then, Jesus is speaking to his followers. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Jesus just used the word many a lot. Many will turn away, betray, and hate. Many false prophets will deceive many people. Verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. All right, Jesus tells his followers, you're going to be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're following Jesus. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus made a prophecy. What was it? The temple's gonna be destroyed, and what happened? Temple was destroyed. Now his actual disciples, and he told them they'd be persecuted, arrested, and killed. What happened to them? They were persecuted. They were arrested. They were killed. And I read this, and even though I wasn't there 2,000 years ago with those actual teenage followers, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. And I receive these words, and I should expect persecution. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Now listen, I praise God for our country specifically. Uh, man, the freedom of, of, of religion and our faith and obviously the foundations we have, even in Christianity in our country. Um, and I know I'm still in my 30s, uh, but I know that things have changed over the decades and over the years where we are 
at, and I would say we are, you know, we're already there as a post-Christian country. And more and more of our culture is anti-following Christ. And I want to encourage you, church, I want to encourage you, this might be hard, I want to encourage you, don't freak out if the world looks like the world. If it's ugly and sinful and dark, Jesus said it was going to be. We cannot expect people who are not followers of Jesus to act like they're followers of Jesus. Jesus said, many will turn away from me, betray each other. Many will be deceived. Many, listen, sin will be rampant everywhere. Not just in the places we expect it to be, everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. Jesus said we should expect society to become worse and worse. We should expect it to become worse and worse. Don't freak out. Don't say, oh man, do we still pray and ask for God to move? Absolutely. But Jesus is speaking here. Expect society to get worse. And you know what else he said? Look, this is not a specific sign of his return. This is continued movement in that direction. All right, we can't be like, man, everything's crazy. Sex culture is crazy. All this stuff is crazy. Everything I see is, is wild. He must be returning. It's all part of the movement toward that. Yes. The return of Jesus is imminent, but we also don't know. All right, society should be get worse and worse. It's not a specific sign of his return, but it's movement in that direction. Jesus said, love will grow cold. And I'm not just thinking about the world and the sinners that are all awful. I'm thinking about that, looking at that as his followers in the church. All right, y'all with me? Y'all good? Jesus said, listen, many will turn away from me and betray each other, will hate each other. The love of many will grow cold. I think what that could look like, I think there's many things, but one thing I think that could see as Jesus' followers become cold in their love towards others, cold in their worship of God, The love will grow cold. Cold in their prayer life. Woof. Cold in their generosity. Cold in their obedience and pursuit of holiness. Jesus says the love of many will grow cold. Jesus is asking for us to endure to the end. He said those to the one who endures till the end, you'll be saved. And here's, all right, I'm gonna get some good news real quick. As we talk about, uh, again, the, the, the love of many will grow cold. That, to me, is asking church, if we wouldn't actually be followers of Jesus, would we not be cold? Would we resist the temptation to go along with this movement away from God? Because here's why, here's what's great. This is great. Even in the midst of this evil, of sin, of hatred, of persecution, the good news about the kingdom of God will be preached throughout the whole world. And here's what's great. I talk about the signs and society getting, getting dark and the fact that we'll be hated and persecuted, the fact that sin will be rampant, the love 
of many will grow cold. It is in that darkness that the light of Jesus will shine. Jesus is giving direction. He's speaking of the future and things that are going to happen. They are happening. He's speaking of things that are going to happen. He's letting us know like, it's a lot of difficult, dark persecution, sin. Uh, you're being deceived, growing cold. But then he says, you know what? Some of my believers, they will endure. You know what will happen? The light about the kingdom of God will be preached to all nations. This is victory. A lot of times we read this and we freak out about all the stuff that's going to happen before Jesus returns. We get scared. We get afraid. She said, no, there's just signs about birth pains, about the good thing that's coming. The birth of the kingdom of God where we're face to face with him. That's what's exciting. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness. The good news that the kingdom of the world would be preached, the good news about the kingdom of God would be preached throughout the whole world. And, and this pushes me. And so the biggest thing is I'm reading for myself and as, as, uh, as what Holy Spirit wants to, I believe, speak to us is that, listen, don't let persecution impact you. When I say persecution, that doesn't always look the same like it might look in other countries where you have radicals of other religions that are there protesting. It may not look like that. But there is peer pressure in our country if you're going to be obedient to the word of God and follow the Holy Spirit and be a follower of Jesus or you're going to compromise with areas of your life. And Christians, this is, looks like a lot of things. It looks like sin, right? There's a lot of overt sin, ugly things in this world that Christians compromise and we say, well, it's okay. You know, what culture is different now. This is okay. You know what? You can live together before you're married and have sex. That's, it's okay. Like, we make a lot of compromises because that's what our culture is pushing us in. In addition to the overt sin, there's a lot of hidden sin like pride and jealousy that we see in these Pharisees. Hello? The people that Jesus was most mad at were these religious leaders because they were like whitewashed tombs. Greedy, self-righteous, they had no humility. Let us not, let us endure to the end in acknowledging who, who the Lord is. Who the Lord is. All right, I'm gonna jump ahead real quick. I'm gonna read verses 30 and 31. Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31, and then a few more after that. I wanna celebrate, I wanna get excited and celebrate what Jesus is speaking about his return. Verse 30, then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. There will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. Talking about those that have realized too late the reality and the need of Jesus. This is known as judgment day as well. There will be deep mourning among the peoples of the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. They will gather as his chosen ones. They will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of earth and heaven. I want to jump down, verse 37. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets, parties, weddings. Right up to the time that Noah entered his boat. People did not realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be 
when the Son of Man comes. Verse 40, two men will be working together in one field, in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Verse 42, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. All right, that's all the scripture we're reading, all right? Is that, man, this is all the words of Jesus. Would we take it? Would we receive it? Would we apply it to our lives, all right? Jesus, multiple times he repeated here, to be ready. Verse 42, keep watch. Verse 44, you must be ready. What does it mean to be ready? Like, honestly, that, that's a big question. I ask that to myself a lot. All right, Jesus says, be ready, right? People get ready. Jesus is coming, right? Soon he'll be going home. It's a classic, all right? What does it mean to, to be ready? Do, do I need to change my clothes? Do I need to brush my teeth, right? What does it mean to be ready? As I, as I read this, look at the context. For me, as I look at the context of Jesus saying these words. For me, that means don't be whitewashed tombs. What that means is don't live your life focused on things that are going to be destroyed. Don't live your life distracted by the glitz in the game. Oh, I mean, the gold, the gold and the marble and all this is so great. And look at my life and look at me. Look how great I am. I'm a good person. Look at the money I give. Look at my perfect little children. No one says that, actually. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is saying this, and he's not telling us to freak out. He's not saying to be scared of persecution. He's saying, is your faith real? Guess what? Be prepared. Your faith in me is going to be tested. That's what he's saying. Be ready. Your faith in me is going to be tested. There are birth pains that are coming. Are you, are you willing? Are you able to endure? Are you going to bend? Are you going to compromise? Are you going to be swayed by those that are deceiving, that are giving false teaching about who God is? Are you going to know the word of God? Are you going to know Jesus in relationship, like being face-to-face know him? Or are we going to be like whitewashed tombs that get destroyed? Because it was just the outside that was pretty and the inside was, was filthy. For me, that's what I read. The context of what Jesus just said in Matthew 23 to what he's saying here to his followers. He's explaining the return. He's explaining the need and the urgency to be ready. Men and women, don't freak out trying to figure out and predict the day and the year and the time. See the signs, yes, but what does that sign push us to? It pushes us to the feet of Jesus. It pushes us into prayer. Listen, we must resist the natural fleshly urge to be comfortable to be selfish, that is our, look, our default is selfishness. Our default is comfortable. Our default is ease and pride. Worried only about our appearance. Jesus says, I don't care about your appearance. I care about your heart. And the only way that we can remain faithful is when we are devoted to prayer. In prayer, we continue to allow God to forgive us. Like, honestly, 
if you just if you put yourself in prayer, like truly talking to God, He's gonna He's gonna bring humility. Yeah, and that's good. We want that. We don't want to be whitewashed tombs. We don't want to be like these Pharisees that are just amazed. But look how pretty. Look how big. Look what they've done with their lives. Look at their money and prestige and wealth. Doesn't matter. God, when I'm with you, you remind me. You, you give me humility because I see your holiness. God, when I'm with you, I, I realize how big you are. God, I realize my selfishness when I'm with you. In prayer, we continue to allow God to forgive us. We allow God to cleanse us of that junk. We allow God to teach us and to strengthen us to obey him. In order to keep watch, we must pray and ask for endurance and freedom from distractions. I'm wrapping up here. This is, this is it. In order to keep watch, we must pray and ask for endurance. Ask for freedom from distractions. To pray without ceasing. To eagerly look forward to Jesus' return. That is what Jesus is saying. Listen, there's going to be a birth pains. There's going to be a lot of signs as there is movement and progress toward my return. Don't be distracted by any of that. Just know that it's urgent that you keep watch. It's urgent that you're ready because I love you. Jesus says, I, I want you. The whole reason he came is because he wants you. He wants a relationship with us. Jesus has given us warning of the urgency because he doesn't want us to miss it. The reason Jesus was so mad at those Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, is because they were missing it. They knew, listen, they knew the word, honestly, I'm going to be real with y'all. They knew the word better than any of us know the word right now. Those Pharisees, they knew the word. They were in church more than anyone else. They were missing it. They were hypocrites because they were, they were so concerned about themselves and their pride and their arrogance and being praised. They were missing it. What Jesus says, what it is, is humility and acknowledging we need Jesus. So men and women here, every single one of you, God loves you and he says, I don't care how much the Bible you know. I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. I don't care how pretty you are. I don't care about your money or your status or these things you've done at work or in your family. I don't care about whitewashed tombs. I don't care about this huge, beautiful temple. What I care about is, do you, do you know me? Are you prepared are you ready? Even if it means persecution, even if it means they hate you, are you willing to not compromise? Are you willing to hold on in obedience and in holiness to me? That's what I want because his return will come in an instant. Like it's real. Jesus is telling us about it. It takes faith. It's crazy, I know, but it's real. And if you're a Christian, then you believe that is a part of our faith. It's actually a really big part of our faith. Is the imminent return of Jesus. If you all will stand and uh, our worship leaders will come up here.